Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information that you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. We're here today with Camille Thornton Olsen. She's waving hi. <laughs> Camille is one of my old friends. She is an actress and an entrepreneur. She's one of the co-founders of Speak LA, which we will, of course, link to on the website page uh, when this episode is live. And she's a survivor of lead and mercury poisoning, which for a long time was misdiagnosed as um, ME or chronic fatigue syndrome. So, Camille, thanks so much for joining us. Well, Lauren, it is my pleasure. Oh, my goodness. So happy to be here with you. <laughs> See your face. I know. And we're recording in Camille's lovely bedroom right now. It's a very intimate environment. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> Lauren really has the setup. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, Camille's got the bedroom set up. <laughs> so um, I thought we'd just start with basics. Can you tell us sure. when and how? I mean, I know this story, but no one else does. Yes. When and how you first realized that you were sick? Well, you know, I got sick when I was 19. Mm. And I was still in college. And, um, I started getting actually, you know, it's funny. It was a progression of, of being sick. It, it was sort of like, um, I just kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker. And it was really scary, but it was actually when I met you, I was in London with Lauren. We were studying acting. Remember that? <laughs> and, um, having quite the fun it was time. Last year. <laughs> it was just yesterday. Yeah. Wasn't it? And, um, and I got, gosh, I, I think I got bronchitis, an ear infection over and over again. Constant. I was on a ton of um, antibiotics. But what happened was, is I came back from my year abroad. I was in London and Paris. And Paris was when it started getting really difficult. And um, I just was exhausted all the time and couldn't figure it out. And um, I got home and I remember going to this Brazilian dance class and actually fainting. I collapsed. Wow. And I couldn't sort of it was sort of inexplicable. The fatigue was so extreme. I could not even explain it. And I, I remember like I, I would try to lift pans and pots and I couldn't do it. I couldn't walk upstairs. I would try to walk down the street and I couldn't walk down the street. And it, you know, I was breathing really hard. And that was about when I was, you know, I was 19 when I was in London with you. 
Um, and then I came home and then I was dealing with this crazy thing for the summer and we started going to doctors. It was really fascinating because I remember going to doctors and saying, okay, here's my history. It's X, Y, and Z. And I remember this one woman at USF, um, medical, I, I think it was UCSF or I was going, I went to a doctor there because we had no idea what was going on. And I was just like little, little cute little 19 year old. And of course I looked fine because I was 19, you know, nobody, yeah, nobody could understand that I was like dealing with this really extreme illness. And this woman was like, well, no, don't tell me, don't tell me the whole thing. And I remember stopping her and I said, um, excuse me, you need to know every part of my medical history Mm. to understand what's going on. Why would she say that to you? Because I think a lot of doctors, um, and this is obviously a generalization because there's amazing doctors out there, but I think a lot of them right away are sort of, they don't listen to the history and there's really a history behind it. Mm. Um, but that summer I had someone at, uh, again, the integrative health, um, doctor at, at UCSF, I believe. I mean, it was such a long time ago now. Mm. It's, it's actually kind of nice that I can't really remember it. I'm actually impressed if there is an integrative health. There is. Like, and they're amazing. Facility at UCF. There, yeah. And he said to me, you know, you're just going to have to live with this and hopefully it'll go away. And I remember thinking, mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah. had, I had that feeling and, and I decided because of, of what he said to go back to UCSD. And, and which is where you were, which is where I was in school to continue studying. And I thought, well, if I have, if I have chronic fatigue, I need to learn how to live with chronic fatigue. And it was incredibly painful to feel. I mean, I was 19, you know? Um, and you know, I actually, so I did end up going back to school. It was very hard to Mm. be, because I had then turned, God, I feel like maybe I'm getting all my times wrong, but I had this turned happens a lot. 21. You, you have brain fog and then you have to try and I'm remember like, what, the timeline and tell it? the story again. Because I remember turning 21 mm, and I in was the midst of it. in the midst of it and was very sick again. Mm. But what would happen is I would be on campus and to walk from one side to the other side of campus was almost impossible for me. Mm. And I'd have to stop at one bench, then walk to another bench and stop and walk to another bench and stop. And I would sit there and watch people and think, you're so lucky that your bodies aren't betraying you. Yeah. Especially because I had no clue what was going on. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the beginning of like not understanding and trying to figure things out. So how did you end up finding out what you had going on and how long did that take? It took like, I think seven to eight years to find out I had lead poisoning and God, I think I went to like, <laughs> I mean, over 30 doctors. I was doing everything, you know, and it's I- It's sad how often we hear this yeah, story repeated. it is. Especially among women. Yeah, it was really, I mean, it was really, you know, I think, I think people that deal with invisible illnesses, as you call them, um, there's like two choices you have. Like you decide to either be like, no, I'm going to do everything I can to get better. Or you just say, I give up. Mm. And it's a real easy thing to say, I give up. And then there's a fine line between it too, because there is a point in the illness where you do, in a sense, have to admit that you're sick Mm. and make some big changes. And then once you get better, then you have to be well again. It's So it's a very complicated, scary kind of tightrope to walk when you're in this sort of this, this place of there's so much mystery to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I certainly felt that like, I remember I was 
got, again, you know, going through all these tests and they touched me, they tested me for HIV. They tested me, you know, so here I am, this like really young girl, just try, like, just scared out of her mind mm -hmm. with people saying, you know, many things. And one of which is like, it's not true, yeah. you know, and, and, and not being able to kind of acknowledge, like I was, I was obviously depressed and, you know, and the things that I would have done in order to make myself feel, feel better, exercise, going out with friends, I, I couldn't do anymore. Mm. And that was like, oh my God, it was incredibly painful. So it disconnects you from your humanity. In yes, absolutely. And, and you, your, your friends can't understand how you feel at 19. Mm. Like I lost a lot of friendships. I mean, it was such a heavy experience. Like I couldn't, I mean, I, I was, it was all the things that I dreamt of. Will I be able to have a career? Will I be able to have a family? Mm -hmm. Like, these are the things I was starting to kind of grapple with in my brain, not knowing, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it, 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 during that time, um, I actually started, it was just like an aside, but it's kind of funny. I did this, uh, Tai Chi class. It was a senior Tai Chi class. <laughs> With his and they were like, "What are you doing here?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I would stay afterwards and have tea with them, and it was so much fun because it was like my speed. I was yeah. here, I'm like this 21 year old hanging out with these like 80 to 90 year olds, but my body was like functioning, you know, at the place, and it was a very the the woman um, who ran it. Her name was Miriam. And she had burns all over her face and, oh, wow. and was incredible. Like just a, her soul was just amazing. And I remember saying to her, like, I am in so much pain right now. Like my body was in pain. My heart was in pain. Mm. My brain was spinning. I mean, when you're so fatigued, your brain cannot write itself. Like there's just so many things that happen mm. to your body and to who you are when you're that. I mean, the, the, the tired that I felt was indescribable. Yeah. And that's what was so hard for people to understand. Like I felt almost as if I was like a bank. And I would put some energy in and then I would go out into the world and it was just taken from me. It would be like drained. But the draining of it would put me in bed for like three to four days. Mm. And when I got my period, Forget I would it. spend like a week before my period almost unable to open my eyes. Mm. The week of my period, again, sleeping and just, and then my brain thinking your, your, your life is passing you by. Your life is passing you by. You gotta wait. You gotta, you gotta do something. You gotta do something. So there, it was just so hard for me to kind of like allow my body to say, to, to even acknowledge, to be like, you will be okay. Because everyone was telling me like, there is no answer to this. You're not going to be okay. So this woman, Rosemary, I remember saying to her, like, I don't know what. Wait, Miriam? I'm sorry, Miriam. <laughs> I was like, who's Mary. Rosemary? Rosemary was the woman we would have coffee with afterwards. <laughs> it was like this old woman from the South and oh, she was sweet. hysterical. But she would sit with me uh, or she said to me, go out in the garden and sit in the garden and look at something beautiful mm. because I couldn't see – there was no beauty. Mm. I, cu I couldn't find beauty in any part of who I was at that time. Mm. And, um, and, and I did that. That was like – it was just like taking it – you know, sort of one step at a time. Yeah. But anyways, I, I did end up going to grad school. Mm -hmm. It was very challenging. Like it was, again, you were sick the whole time. I was sick the whole time. I got mono. I got Epstein-Barr. I got, I was working, um, with this woman, like this energy woman. And that was kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and finally I went to see this woman and she said, you're, I think I was like, at this point I was 27 Mm. and she was like, you're 27. You shouldn't feel like you're 80. There's something wrong and Mm. we're going to figure it out. And I think it's heavy metal toxicity. Who, what was she a a medical? She was a medical practitioner. She was an integrative health medicine, medical practitioner. I don't know if that's the right. Integrative health or functional medicine doctor. Yeah. Um, she had the medical background and then she had the integrative background and she had the ability to test you. And she was just sort of like, I'm going to test you until we figure this out. Mm. The first test there came back that there was a thyroid problem, but the thyroid problem was connected to the lead poisoning. And she said, I don't think it's the thyroid problem. Let's, Mm. let's go deeper. And then we did the test and I had lead and mercury poisoning, like off the charts. I don't even know how I was alive. Like it was that extreme. Um, But I think I managed to survive because of the supplements and like the nutrition and everything I was doing. Right. So you had already sort of taken some steps to control what you could. Oh, yeah. I mean, I made a decision very early on that I was not going to die, which was a very big thing to do because I was dying. My uncle visited when I was – when I had just gotten back from – France when mm-hmm. I would, you know, got to meet you, Lauren. Yeah. And um I wasn't processing food. I couldn't I was so skinny. Mm-hmm. I could not eat I mean nothing was my my digestive system was just everything Shot. wasn't working. Because the lead, which I found out later, was so in my body. I mean it was in the tissues, it was I mean it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's painful. Like it's it hurts your body. I mean the whole thing is incredibly painful. And I remember him, you know, he had pulled my, um, my parents aside and just said, like, if you don't figure out a way to feed her, she's going to die. Like, Mm. because I was just, you know, and you know, I wish I could have like at that point gone to the hospital and been like, listen, it's this, like it's Mm. cute, you know, cause it would have been like a year of my life. But, um, but I decided very early on I was going to fight it. And so I did everything. I figured out ways to cope with it. I went to grad school, which I can't even believe I was able to do. And I did, and I did really well there. Mm. Um, but I was always like working with this underlying fear, Mm. you know, there was always an underlying fear of, will my body work tomorrow? Will it collapse? Will it be okay? Mm. You know, which is a really, which is why I say there's a tightrope that you're walking when you deal with these illnesses, which is like the tightrope is, I need to rest and I, I, this is okay. But then in your head, it's like, how many months is this going to take? Mm. And really like our lives are sort of long and glorious. So yeah. it, it doesn't, you know, that span of time as intense as it feels, you don't have to look at it as if it's like, you know, your whole life. But when you're in it, it's so hard to, 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 to be like, if I do this for two months, I'll feel better. Cause you're like, well, nothing made me feel better, yeah. you know? So there is like this weird thing of like, you can't see the forest. You can't no, but you do have to give in eventually and be like, well, this, this is what's working. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep living my life the best I can, even though it's imperfect. Mm. Um, because my fear was hard to explain to people. They couldn't understand it. Mm. You know, you just, you can't understand what Especially it, young vital No, people, right? You yeah. can't, like, they'll understand later in their lives mm-hmm. what that feels like. So, you know, and then once you get, it, it was actually once I got better that the incredible, I, I went through a grieving process mm. because I, couldn't even – in order to survive, I couldn't even think about 
oh, you could die, you know? So you have to like keep going. But then when you're through it, your whole body's like starts being like, oh my God, this happened to me. And you go through a whole process of kind of acknowledging the past, the past and how scary it was. Cause mm. it's scary. I wonder if it'll make the future more bearable too, you know, like yeah. the aging process sets in when, you know, I think so 50 years from now, <laughs> I think so. Well, cause I think you really learn when you deal with these illnesses, mm. how to take care of yourself. Mm. And that's like the gift and the silver lining. And I think that you get a jump start on what many people other don't know how to do yet. Yeah. You know, and I have to say, like, I felt a lot of resentment about that. I'll be like, well, why does that person get to have like pizza and I don't have to get to have it? But the truth is I can have pizza, but I also know how my body feels with it. Right. And now I'm like a hundred percent healthy. I'm mm-hmm. like, I've survived it. I don't have lead or mercury. I'm like, so good. Um, but I still know what makes me feel better. Yeah. You know, and I can't ignore that. Like that's a whole education that I got that why would I, Mm. why would I discount that part of the process too? Well, can you also then walk us through, I mean, you mentioned, you know, sort of making adjustments in your diet and, um, supplements. What steps did you take to manage your symptoms and control your health, particularly once you had the diagnosis? Well, you know, that's such a good question. I mean, I did so many different things. Mm. Um, now I feel like I can pick out a good practitioner, like out of a lineup, be like, that's yeah. the person you go to. When I got sick, you were one of the first people. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. And I can really like say, yeah. you know, this is the person you go to because you learn so much about what, what real health is like. And what compassion is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think the biggest thing I did was change how I ate. Mm. I mean, that was huge. And I, we talked about that. Remember I said yeah. to you, like, just take a month and just eat really clean. When I was, I was doing really badly at one point, I'd sort of gotten better and then dipped again. Yeah. And Camille called me. I, w- I remember sitting in the parking lot at the supermarket. <laughs> um, and I guess I'd just gone food shopping. Yeah. And Camille called me and she was like, can you just for a month, change the way you're eating so that what you're putting in your body is cleaner and see if that helps. And damned if that wasn't yeah. like the magic ingredient for me changing my diet. Well, one of the, the things. That yeah. Really yeah, yeah. Um, and I probably wouldn't have done it if I hadn't been as low as I was and mm-hmm. like hit rock bottom and then had a friend pull me out of it. Like you did. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into that and support systems as we go on. But I imagine with, um, with metal poisoning, you're going to have to do chelation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I found the, when I finally got the diagnosis, cause again, I had been managing the lead and the mercury poisoning, um, with supplements and that kind of thing. And I was working with this healer and she was like helping me. And, um, and then I, I decided I stopped working with this woman and I was sort of like, I need I really need some medicine. like medicine. I need something. Yeah. And um that's when I got the diagnosis and the woman and then I did chelation. So I went in twice. I went in th- uh t- three times a week, I think. And this is like proper chelation. Like oh, there yeah. are some forms of chelation where it's a supplement no. and it's super light. Yeah. And there are some where you can do it at home with different like, you know, charcoal type smoothies yes. that you know they have you swallow. But this is like proper yeah. chelation where you have to go in and be hooked up to an IV. Yes, right? yes. And I did it for a full year. Wow. While I was in grad school in my third year of grad school oh for acting. So you're like, I was in shows 
And it was so hard. And it was not covered by insurance, was it? It was not covered by insurance. Kel surprise. It was not. And it was so expensive. Yeah. And I, you had to go in and do the chelation. And then, and it, it, you know, it, what, what happens with chelation is it's pulling the lead out of your body and like, it's literally pulling it out. I mean, it feels like shards of glass being pulled out of your body. And then basically it binds to the, uh, it's like it, the, the protein, it like binds to the lead and then you pee it out of your system or you sweat it out. And like, that's how it gets out of your body. And when you're at a place that I was at, it's like impossible to get out on your own. Mm. So like the things you can do when you have heavy metal or like to keep, or even anyone should do really are like, make sure you're sweating, mm. like go once a week to like a yoga just to get hot yoga, hot yoga, or just to like get it sauna. out or go to saunas. Um, you know, make sure the circulation is, is moving. Um, cause I was so backed up. I mean, it was in my liver. It was, I mean, it was everywhere. And then then after you do it, you have two days where it's like coming out of you and it's mm-hmm. like the symptoms get amplified. So your exhaustion is off the it's charts. like a herx among Lyme's. Uh, yeah. 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 And like your, a herx reaction. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And your brain fog gets worse. Mm-hmm. And then um, you have to go back and they actually, again, put the IV connected to you and put um, the good stuff back the good in because you've lost everything. Yeah. yeah. It's a real intense intense process. Well, it's got to be a little bit like chemo that you it, it sitting does. there for it a few feels, hours, yeah. hooked up to an IV yeah. and a room full of other people who are probably doing something similar. Yeah. It was exactly like that. I mean, I think, I can't remember exactly how, cause it, I think it varied, but I would, I'd usually be there an hour. Mm, yeah. yeah. And then I'd go home and I'd just be white. Yeah. And then I'd have to go perform <laughs> and I Which was is, getting ready for my show. Like, the adrenaline involved in performing too. And I oh. can certainly relate to this because we both have backgrounds as performers, you know, that there is a certain amount of like, and you learn a discipline when you are a, a, a drama student of any kind that like the show must absolutely yeah, go on. Absolutely. So like, no matter what's going on, mm-hmm. you get up and you do it, but then afterwards you collapse. Exactly. You know? So I imagine that was like those extremes must have been really hard to Oh, they well. were so hard. And it was also just, you know, it, it was, I felt like I was walking around all the time with like this sort of very open heart and mm-hmm. like a deep vulnerability that I couldn't really explain. Which to is people. also really scary. It's really scary yeah. because you can't, you know, when you say people are so, our, I think our culture and our society, especially in the US, we're not kind when it comes to illness mm. and we really need to be kinder because it's, I think in a bigger level, it's, it's like a, you know, you can use it as a real tra- uh, transformational process in your life. Mm. Like it can really transform your, your world. I mean, I don't think I would have the compassion and the empathy that I do for, well, you know, I, I'm a pretty empathetic, a pretty person, empathetic person, but I yeah. think it, I think it, you know, it gives you an understanding of humanity that is much deeper, Yeah, you know, and if that's how you choose to kind of look at your journey here, which I certainly do, um, sickness is not a curse. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's really interesting that, that you bring up the concept of compassion and empathy, because this to me is like a running theme throughout mm-hmm. all of these interviews that survivors walk away with this whole new appreciation for the fact that their bodies are vital again, 
um, to whatever degree that is, you know, that you've learned to live in this new body, but you've also learned to relate to people in such a different way. And you were also at school studying human behavior. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and doing a deep dive into performative psychology, if you will. Um, so I'm not surprised that you walked away with an even deeper feeling for, for those around you. Um, so in terms of how you went through the healing process, did you at any point have an advocate in that wellness journey? Did you, was there anyone that you turned to or who sort of stuck up for you when you were too weak to do it yourself? And if so, how has that impacted your relationship with that person? Well, you know, I, my parents have always been amazingly supportive. Like yeah. I honestly financially would not have survived this if mm. they hadn't been able to help me with medical yeah. treatment. I, the, my friend base that I did have mm. was incredible. So the ones who stuck around. Yeah. They were amazing. Yeah. Um, I felt a lot of, and then I, you know, I dated somebody in grad school and he was amazing he too. Really took he you, took yeah. a lot, really good care of me. And I know it was, it was really, I must, it must've been so hard for him because it was scary for me. So I can only imagine what it was like for a partner. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, I was my biggest advocate. Mm -hmm. I always was. I mean, it was so hard for people to understand what I was going through. Yeah. And it sounded like early on you were the one in doctor's appointments being like, excuse me. No. It, it was always me. Yeah. And I will say like, I don't think doctors know best ever. I'm like, I will, you know, I'm the first person who will say, uh-uh, you're not listening well, to me. Well, some doctors might know best, but... Yeah, but I think you know, you know your, your body, body the best. <laughs> you <laughs> know? Nice thing to yeah, <laughs> you know your body. Yeah. And if they're not listening to what you're saying about mm. what's going on with your body, then they're not the right person to go to. Yeah. You know? And and I think there's a, a wealth of, like, knowledge that you gather as you go along. But um, I always had to advocate for myself. It was, it was lonely. I was very lonely in this journey. Like it was yeah. a very, I went on once to go to a chronic fatigue, like, like website to like, it was like a, a forum. Mm. And I immediately got off of it because people were living in the illness and sort of have given up in it. And I was like, uh, uh, there's no way in hell I'm going to spend my life with this. Right. There's no way I well, will. This is not how my life is going to be. You're not the Absolutely first person. Not. I mean, it's interesting because like a lot of people who are on the show say, you know, we're going to, we turn to online forums because often there's a really educated patient population. But on the, the other side of that, there are some forums that are, I've had a guest say they're all symptom form. Yeah. People just sit and say, woe is me. And, you know, everyone sympathizes, which, which can be very helpful for people who are in that place, but you are obviously, uh, -uh I, for more. I don't like that. And I don't think it's healthy. And yeah. I think get away from that is like run from that. Cause yeah. it's not going to help you get better. And I just want to say as an addendum, like I truly believe after my experience mm. that, that there is always a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I didn't believe that at first. And I remember talking to, you know, the, 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 my, my, the person I was with in grad school and saying it's chronic fatigue. You're not going to understand it, but it's like this deep fatigue and it's horribly named and blah, blah, blah. I do not believe anymore in chronic fatigue. I absolutely believe there is something, something else. absolutely because our bodies 
are amazing and really smart and mm. there is something going on and you but can, there is some, but well, we know that there is potentially some link to an, a kind of encephalitis, like myalgic encephalitis is the other name for chronic fatigue. So it may be that, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, but I don't believe that anymore because mm. even myalgia or fibromyalgia, is that yeah. what it's, fibromyalgia. I had fibromyalgia too. And it was, that's a symptom of lead poisoning. So you got diagnosed with it? I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. Interesting. So I, you know, I think that even if it's fibromyalgia and they're like, what's the thing? There is an underlying cause mm. that you can find. And I, I find that very hopeful to think right. of that because I think the hardest part is having this like vague diagnosis that's sort of like, well, what does that mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to be in, I'm going to be tired for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like that doesn't make sense. I'm going to be this. And that doctor saying to me, absolutely not. You are 26. Mm-hmm. You should not be feeling like you're 80. Mm-hmm. She's right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I've always thought that and my, I, you know, obviously going through what I went through, I was like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is this like vague kind of thing. I was like, that's so weird. Cause mm. wouldn't your body know how to come back? It does. Mm. Your body's smart. Your, your body loves you. It's on your side. Mm. There's reasons why it's going through it. And it's, it's kind of like what we talked about, like, you know, how much better you felt with the nutrition. Yeah. Like there's things you can do and maybe you don't find the exact cause, but you find solutions along the to way. Symptoms, yeah. yeah. Well, and where the symptoms go away. Yeah. You know, like I, I really, I believe that now in a, yeah. in a very deep way and in, in a way that I didn't when I first got sick, mm-hmm. but through my experience, I really, really do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I even had Epstein-Barr virus, which they say is while, another, sick, while I was sick, but they say that's another underlying cause of chronic fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you because know, because the Epstein Barr virus can actually live in your system yes, for years and years. Exactly, Same with like strep virus. Exactly. And, yeah. So it's like you know, mm. just just to throw in a little hopeful kind of. Yeah, that like maybe it's just digging deeper and doing more and more tests. Yeah, 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 and finding the right team of doctors. And, and for the people who are perhaps at the end of their rope who have done every single test and are like, I've done all the tests and everything's yeah. come back negative. Maybe you need to return to some of those tests. Maybe you need to find a different practitioner who's more hopeful for you. I mean, even to those people at their end of their rope, Mm. I will say, I promise you there's a cause. Yeah. I really do. I mean, I, and I, and like, just to, to, you know, give you guys like some insight, like there was one, one time when I was in grad school, I remember getting home from grad school from like, I don't know, performance or something. I think I got another diagnosis of mono. Mm. I was so sad. I mean, I was so sad. I took a bunch of plates and I threw them and I broke them all over the floor. I was so upset. You were angry. I was angry. I thought this isn't fair. Um, this isn't fair. Like I, why do I, I don't deserve to have like my body's betrayed me. This has happened. This has happened. And now I will just tell you, I'm like so healthy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So I just, I, I really say that because it took, it it was like a, it was a trail of doctors. It was a trail of experiences that kind of got me to the next place, Mm. but. And you were lucky too. I mean, there's a certain amount of privilege involved in, 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 well, there's a freedom and a privilege, right? Once you have a diagnosis and I think, you know, mm-hmm. it took you seven, eight years to get there. Um, there are some people who seven, eight years in are still yeah, you know, absolutely. in the darkness. And it's just about sticking it out, isn't it? And to those people, I would say, look at your diet. Mm-hmm. Just start there. Like, yeah, start with and, and start and, Yeah, and, and start in like a very – because the other thing I, I remember saying to you is, 
you know, take a month and do nothing. Yeah. Which is like the hardest thing to do. Oh, well, yeah, that, that's right. Because you did. I forgot about that. Yeah. When Camille suggested that I change my my nutrition and my diet, she also said, just stop working for a month. And I was like, I can't stop working. Yeah. I can't not work, you know, because you're like, I've got bills to pay and I've got projects I'm working on. Like, how could I possibly stop? And to be fair, I didn't because I'm a workaholic, but um, I did pull back on a lot of stuff. And I, for that month was very much like, I'm not going to commit to things yeah. that aren't going to serve me. Well, that's the biggest thing I said. I said, if you can't take a month off, don't go to the, any events with friends. Yeah. Don't like it's, it's your month of like watching fun movies and cooking and caring for your body. And I also said, stop going to all those doctor's appointments, you know, yeah. take, take a month. Which I also didn't do. I kept going to the doctor, which, but which I is fine, to. which is fine, <laughs> yeah. which is fine. But, yeah. but there's, you know, you have to, when you're that sick, mm. your body is tired. Yeah. And there's, you know, and, and the energy it takes to drive somewhere is energy that is being used to drive and not and to replenish. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you have to like really trust that taking that time. Mm. I think the hardest part about taking that time is thinking, well, what if I take the time and nothing happens? Mm. And I'm like, you know, kind of a little bit of it is saying I allow myself to be sick, which is that again, that tightrope that I was talking about, which is so hard to do because if you allow yourself to be sick, the thought in your head is, well, am I ever going to get well? And it's, and then it is that your identity is is as a sick person, which is a very hard thing to do. And I will say was very hard for me to do because I am, that's like the opposite of who I am in my nature. Yeah. And I think the difference between letting it become your identity and giving yourself permission to rest Mm -hmm. is that's, those are distinctions. Yeah. And you can make, and making that distinction Mm -hmm. and making it, because I didn't come from, you know, I, I too, I'm a, I work really hard. I'm a perfectionist. You know, I have very big ambitions and goals and dreams. And, you know, I, getting sick really, really checked my ego. Mm. Like it really was like, what does your heart want? Mm. <laughs> Not what like society wants or what you think is like looks good in the world. And what can your heart handle? And what can your heart handle right mm. now? And it becomes like this very precious communication with your body and your soul and your, you know, and your being. And that is the spiritual aspect. And that's the the spiritual. Yes, exactly. And the part where it's like, sometimes I wish I could go back to that 19 year old girl and say like, Hey, you're going to be okay. Mm. You know, because I never, I, I had to, I was forced to rest because I couldn't literally do anything, but the entire time my brain was spinning. Yeah. You know, and again, that's normal too, because when you're that tired, your brain cannot stop spinning. Yeah. So I just want, you know, whoever's listening to this to know that like you're okay mm. and it's okay and it will be okay. And what you're going through like may not. not feel normal, but like your psychological reaction to it yes, is okay. Is, is okay. And like, you know, if you can just keep saying to your brain, like, I hear you, I know you're freaked out and scared, you know, I get it, but I'm going to give myself a week. Mm-hmm. I hear you, I'm going to watch the movie. I'm going to like, just keep checking your brain so you can kind of keep resting. Cause when you start to feel replenished, you'll be able to handle more and mm-hmm. you'll be able to see more solutions than if you're just kind of down and out, down on yeah. the ground. Yeah, absolutely. You know? This episode is sponsored by Ember Labs, creators of the Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. 
I'm heat sensitive and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And now through December 18th, Ember Labs is offering listeners of Uninvisible Pod $50 off. Go to emberwave.com slash invisible, that's E-M-B-R wave.com slash invisible, and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. So can you also walk us through, I know you mentioned a little bit about, um, you know, when you were back at campus at UCSD, mm-hmm. um, which was your undergrad, yeah, and you would walk from one bench and have to rest and then go to the next bench. The difference between what a day looked like for you then mm-hmm. and what a typical day looks for, like for you now. Oh, well, I mean, night and day. Night and day. Yeah. I mean, then it was, um, I was so sad. I mean, I was so sad. Um, I was felt broken. I just felt like this bleeding, wounded heart, mm-hmm. like walking around campus in this like young person's body and just, you know, not knowing what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I was exhausted all the time. And now, I, you know, do a gazillion things every day. I run around. I yeah. exercise every day. I, you know, meet new people. I, you know, you cook all the time. I cook all the time. You know, di- nutrition is still really important for me. Yeah. Um, and not, and I, I'll, I'll add this. Camille's not like preachy about it. You know, it's not like you must fix your diet. But I mean, for me, that was such a huge change and it took prodding, but Camille was very gentle. <laughs> was gentle because it's a hard thing to do because you the thing is you think that you've made the changes but then in reality you haven't well because our relationship to food isn't about being nurtured it's about do I look good when I eat this yeah am I gonna get skinny if I eat this salad you know like and so because of the the association with the focus on weight particularly for people in the entertainment industry yeah, yeah you know um and appearance to to shift i mean that was huge for me too right like shifting from appearance to health in the way that you look at food and what you're putting in your body and seeing food as fuel yeah absolutely i mean i recently was doing an experiment where i was allowing myself to eat everything and anything I wanted. And I say allowing myself because when I was so sick, if I ate something that wasn't, you know, if I had a slice of cake, I would be in bed for a couple of weeks. I mean, it was that kind of do or die. It was right. like, you know, if I eat the wrong thing, again, just hearing those words, it was like wrong and right, wrong and right, black and white, black and white. It was terrifying. And the thing is, is I love food. Mm -hmm. So to not be able to go out with friends and like have the sushi or have the pad thai was really hard for me. That's also like in your family too, because Camille's family is, uh, well, she's got an international background. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the ways that your family expresses love is through cooking. Is through cooking and through food. Yeah. And you're very much like that. And I'm like that too. She's feeding me. I'm going to make Lauren some food. (laughs) And we've been excited about this for like a week. Yeah, it's true. I love, I love, I love cooking. And, but you know, that changed too, Mm. because when I was really sick, I had to start cooking and I hated it and I resented it. And then I got out of it and then I was like resentful that I couldn't like go have a burger or whatever with, with bread. (laughs) I had burgers all the time, (laughs) but without bread. Um, 
And so recently I did this little experiment where I was like, you know, I don't want to be afraid of food in terms of getting sick. Mm. Like there was a little bit of a thing in my head. This was literally like a month ago, a couple Mm. months ago. So I, I started doing that. But you know what? At the end of the day, when you know what your body what works for your body, you know what works for your body. Yeah. And I almost instantaneously didn't feel good. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and I, so I. But you're much more sensitive to it than your average person at this I point am, too. I am. Exactly. Yeah. But it's like it, when you have been through, you know, what we've been through mm. and what most of your listeners have gone through, you know, the idea of doing anything that makes my body have to work harder it's, it's too precious. It's too precious to me. Mm-hmm. And I really do. Like I think about smoking yeah, and I think about what it does to my lungs, mm-hmm. you know, and for me, even drinking is always like, it, well, the sugar, the sugar has never you, yeah. agreed with me, you know, and I'm also particularly sensitive. So yeah. I won't say, you know, please enjoy, you know, a yeah, glass or yeah. whatever, but, but I, I feel it in my body in a way. And then I have to like do the sweating and go to the gym because my circulation is, it, it's still like, I'm still getting it back on track. Yeah. And so I just, it makes me feel kind of like, why am I doing that? Well, it's funny because even this evening before we recorded this interview, um, Camille sent me a text message and she said, can we actually meet a little later because <laughs> I just really need to sweat. And when I got here to Camille's house, she was like, I think I ate something funny yesterday. I just needed to sweat it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I feel a hundred percent better now. Yeah. And but you're I, energized. Yeah. And I'm energized, but I know that's how my body, and, and the thing is a lot of your guys' bodies probably work the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the circulation, getting the movement of the circulation and sweating things out because when your system is backed up, Basically, with anybody with any illness, when your system gets backed up, you're not able to push toxins out the way you normally are. And that's why it's so important to eat well, mm. because there's toxins in sugar, for example, mm. or sugars are a toxin. Um, preservatives and there's preservatives food. and all that stuff. So basically, when you put it in your body and your body's doing well, you're able to push it out in a really easy way. But if mm. your body is, is, is fighting an illness or like trying to recover, it's harder to push it out. And that's why the sweating helps. It's like, let me help you a little, yeah. a little bit more. I, I still struggle with it because I, just hate sweating, but I'm also like, I know it's so good for me. I just I have know. to lean into it. I didn't like it either. Yeah. 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 So how do you balance the demands of work and life with knowing that you're in a place right now where, um, you know, your health is balanced Yeah, and you're working your butt off because you yeah. have your own business. Yes. Um, how do you maintain that balance and make sure that you're eating fresh food and that you're making time to give yourself self-care? Well, that's a really hard thing, yeah. you know, and that's always been, I think, a struggle for me because I, when I lean into work, I really lean into work. When I lean into anything, I like really go for it. So I'll say this, the moment where I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling like, oh my God, there's so much going on in life right now. I take a moment and I'm like, thank you so much that I get to be in life mm-hmm. and not be out of life. all the time. Like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So no matter how high the stress level is, Mm. I'm just like, thank you. And that helps me enormously because I think, you know, again, going back to that thing I was talking about with the tightrope is like, Mm. you know, it's a choice to be in life no matter where you are. So it's a choice to get 
well from an illness, no matter how difficult it is. It's a choice and you don't have to choose it. Um, and, and it's, ha- and it's, yeah, and it's hard. Yeah. It's a very hard thing. So, um, that's kind of how I try to approach it, but I will, I also, um, I, I really like when I start feeling out of balance, my world gets out of balance and, mm. and I get frustrated. I think like, gosh, darn it. Like mm. why, why, why do I have to do these things? Like, first of all, everyone has to do these things. Mm. And, and that's, that's comes a little bit from like, you know, there's, there's a few thoughts that'll come up into my head almost immediately when I'm feeling that kind of overwhelm. And the first one is like, well, if I hadn't gotten sick, this wouldn't have happened. Or, and, and I just have to remind myself like, well, no, 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 that was your story. Now you're here mm. and now you're doing all these things. You've changed the narrative. You have to change the narrative all the time. Um, but I, I choose I have continued to choose again. It's a choice mm. to make my health a priority yeah. always. Yeah. So I absolutely. And when I feel like I'm not, mm. which I think everyone who has dealt with an illness and is in the process of it is hypersensitive, mm. you know, like it's kind of a muscle. It's like, it's like, it's your, your spirituality is a muscle going to the gym. It's all, it's, it's not, it's, and even like continuing your, your journey of health, that's all like muscles that you're building where it becomes second nature. So I, it's a non-negotiable for me. Yeah. Just like there's certain words that I don't say, like non-negotiables, like there are things that I don't even, you know, like don't even like go to like cooking my food is absolutely a non-negotiable. I must do it. You know, going to the gym and working out, it's a Mm non-negotiable and it wasn't always a non-negotiable for me. Like it was, I have a lot of resistance towards those those things, but it's like, there are certain things that if they haven't happened in my day, I make sure they happen in my day. And I push work aside now. Mm-hmm. And I say, if I didn't get to that, it doesn't matter. I must go to the gym yeah. because my health is more important. Yeah. And when you were sicker, I suppose you kind of didn't have a choice because your body would shut down at a certain point. Oh, I couldn't, you know, when I was really sick, I couldn't work out. I couldn't yeah. do anything. So again, it's sort of like, it's a, gift now. it's a gift. And just recently, like this is all in the last year I've been yeah. going to the gym at nighttime, which I used to do in high school and I loved doing. And I wake up in the morning and I feel amazing, Mm. but I've stopped saying to myself, you know, again, it's that fear thing. Like, well, am I too tired to work out? You know, well, yeah, when you're sick, your body is tired and your intuition gets skewed. It's really hard to trust yourself. Um, but you know, if you're, if you're sick and you're tired, you're tired. Yeah. And then when you're feeling better and you're tired, yeah, you can go to the gym, but it's like, we, it's, it's just, it's taking the time basically to kind of check in again with, with your intuition and trust in your intuition again, Absolutely. which is a process in and of itself. And I'm not going to say that that's easy because I'm definitely still working on that. It's definitely a process. Yeah. And and by (laughs) the way, I think it's a process whether or not you're ill. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, it's, it's like an everyday, it's like, if I can't, if, if the day gets really busy on me and I haven't gone and worked out or gone for a walk or something, I don't beat myself up about it, you know, but I, you know, I pretty much do some form of exercise every day, Mm -hmm. you know, like hikes or whatever, because hikes are your favorite. I love going on hikes. Camille always asks me if I want to hike and I'm like, Camille, it took me like two years being in LA with her to be like, Camille, I hate hiking. (laughs) Lauren never actually said it out loud. And I was like, oh, she's just always busy. And 
And I love hikes because it's a great, like you get your exercise and you get to meet with a friend and then you ha- you could get to go back to work, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, you can kind of combine it, but I couldn't figure out why Lauren would never want to go with me. <laughs> I'm more of a quick shot person. Like yeah. I want to hike for an hour. <laughs> I want to like get in and get out. Yeah. I'm done with my, my working and working out and my sweating. And now I never ask you to yeah. go on hikes. She knows better than that. I, I learned. <laughs> That was so funny when you first, when you finally told me that. And I was like, really? Well, she, first of you were like, really? Like, who doesn't like hikes? And then you were like, oh. <laughs> the realization of like all these years of me, you know, politely declining. <laughs> she was so polite about it. Finally, she said to tell me to my face. <laughs> I don't know why I was so polite, especially because we were friends for I don't so know. You could have just, I know. I would have been like, okay. I think it was also so new to me because I'm such a city girl. Like no one ever used to ask me to go hiking. You I know. know. What I mean? like, I so know. it wasn't until I moved to LA that Camille would constantly be like, let's go on a hike. And I was like, <laughs> you have fun. <laughs> you know, but. But look, if whatever floats your boat, and that's probably also a great way to connect to that beauty, like going back to your Tai Chi instructor, right? You yes, would say like go out go and outside. sit in the garden. And certainly being outside is, and being in nature is a great way to connect to beauty and gratitude. And Absolutely. I mean, these are things I really had to work on, by yeah. the way. Like this was not – I mean, when you were dealing with the stuff that everyone who's listening is dealing with, this mm. is – Excuse my language, but fucking hard. It's cool. I'll put an explicit warning on this. Yeah, put a warning on because I've been so explicit. But it's hard. And I really want to acknowledge how hard it is because it is so, so scary and hard to like – you know, we, we already as like human beings don't know what's going to happen in the future, but then to add health issues with that, yeah. it's like, well, how are you supposed to even like live, live or navigate? Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not kidding for a while. It was a real, like I would get up and write gratitude lists in the morning mm. and I would do these things simply to get out of the panic that I was in mm. about what I had gone through and what I was going through. Well, that's, I mean, there are now scientific studies that are showing that gratitude actually improves your health. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And and you and but again, tell this to a person who's been sick for like so many years, and they're like, "Well, fuck you," yeah. you know. And and I get that. Like, I really get that. Like, I you know felt resentful and angry and sad and like lonely and despairing, all the things. And you have to and 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 there's times now still where I wake up and I'm like, I wish I hadn't gone through what I went through. You know, it doesn't mm. it because it's hard. It's it's like a very hard experience to go through these particular illnesses that don't have um, you know, like we were talking about, that there's no diagnosis. So mm. you're sort of in this like fog of like and you look okay. So it's a very, it's a very lonely kind of experience. And, um, it really is. It's like, that's why it's really one day at a time. And you're like, okay, today at this time, even though I feel, I know I'm not going to feel good. I'm going to get up and I'm going to write down five things I'm grateful mm-hmm. for. And it's like interrupting that the negative, the negative thought cycle on your head. Well, speaking of looking fine and not feeling fine, um, can you give us any anecdotes, any, um, experiences you had either then or now where you've been forced to justify to someone, be it a friend or a family member or a medical practitioner that something was going on when they wouldn't believe you? Sure. I mean, I had, I got, um, I had to get a handicap placard when I was like 20. Uh, I think I got it when I was 22 or 23 because I was going back to UCSD to finish up my last year 
And I couldn't, I needed to have a parking spot and Mm -hmm. I couldn't get guaranteed a parking spot. And I was mortified. I was so embarrassed about that. And people would say things to me. You're also not the first person who's young and been chronically ill and had people sort of judge you for having a disabled sticker. Yeah. It was really hard. And then I, I even had like a cousin who's, who made a comment and I just looked at them and said, I, I don't even remember what I said, but I said something that was like, I, I'm, I'm really sick. Mm. And I, I was, and he was like, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Cause I was at that point able to kind of talk about it. But even when I went to grad school, I had the handicap placard mm. and it was, I was so embarrassed. Like people would say things. And then I, who would say things? Was it young people saying things? Oh yeah. Older people oh saying yeah. Things? People, everyone, everyone. Mm. because they just, I mean, cause it's so hard to understand. Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, it was, that first year was really hard. I was also falling in love. So that was like a very tricky Confusing thing to time, navigate yeah. and like to explain like, cause you, the other thing is you feel like you you want to tell people like, this isn't who I really am. I remember talking to my sister about this and I love, you know, you know, my sister, she's yeah. amazing and super practical and, and also super empathic and yeah, just yeah. an amazing person. And I was lamenting the fact that I didn't look how I did when I was 19. It's like recently. FYI, nobody does. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and that's what she said. She was like, you have this idea that there's like the you before you got sick, then mm-hmm. the you when you got sick, and then the you after you got sick. And it like is these three kind of separate, like huge points. And she does. Like I have like this image in my head is like this really fun, flirty, light Mm. You know, young college student. You're still like that though. Well, thank you. <laughs> still flirting. I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and then I have the image of myself as this very dark, heavy mm. person wading through a lot of sorrow. But it's so and interesting because you also have that because you, you're able to summon gravitas when you need it now. That's true. It gives you an emotional which, maturity. Which is the, again, the flip that, like the plus side that's hard to recognize, mm. you know? It makes you a more complete person. It makes you a more complete person. Like, I don't really want to be that 19-year-old. I'd rather be the person I am now. But I I had to walk through a lot of fire to get there, you know? And so so it's just recently that I've been able to sort of marry all those parts of who I am. And really, you know, there were moments where I would look in the mirror and not even recognize myself. And it's, mm. it's fascinating because I'll look back at pictures like from grad school and after, like, re, like right after grad school when I was still really recovering from this and be like, wow, you're beautiful. Mm. You know, but I did not feel that way. I felt really broken and damaged. And, you know, so there's this, and, and I, and it, I would look in the mirror and, and feel this, this aching pain that I wasn't that like free spirited 19 year old that I had been robbed of like my twenties essentially. Um, and, and it's just recently that I was like, Oh no, you are all those, all those facets are in you. You're still, you're still the same woman, you know? Yeah. Um, so if you're going through that, I, I think that's another thing that can come up too is like almost you compartmentalize these different parts of your life and your worlds. Um, and it's about finding the space to honor all of them. Yeah. And that it's all. And not be defined by one stage of your life. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So has your experience turned into advocacy on a larger scale at all? Um, you know, 
not like with what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I do. I think it's fantastic. And I, I really wish I had had something like this when I was going through what I, I went through. I mean, that's exactly why I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because it makes people feel less alone. And I, um, and I like how you're doing it because I feel like you're bringing a lot of hope to it, you know? Well, that is really dependent on the guests. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want people to know that there's hope. There's, yeah. I promise you, you can and will get better. I really do. I promise. I would bet money on that. I would, I just absolutely know it's possible. And I also think there's a lot of power in sharing your story, you know, like mm-hmm. from the perspective of the host of this interview, you know, yeah. having people on the show who are willing to be vulnerable, um, you know, so that people can hear their stories and know that they're not alone. Like that's advocacy in and of itself, sitting in front of a microphone. Well, good. I'm glad I'm doing a little something. Yeah. My gosh. I really think that. I mean, I, I think like, I remember it was for a long time, it was hard to even say the, the story out loud. Yeah. So, you know, it was so emotional to me. I felt so much shame around the experience. I felt shame around the experience, which is ridiculous. I mean, how can you feel shame around getting sick? But by the sick? same token, you know, judging it now and saying that's ridiculous to have had that shame, you know, in the moment, there's nothing shameful about yeah. the reality yeah. of your emotional reaction to no. it, you know? No, you're right. It wasn't, I shouldn't say that. It wasn't ridiculous, but it's... Well, but in hindsight, but, it is. But what I say that. is, like, <laughs> yeah. And I remember going on a date with someone and not wanting to talk about being sick because it was so heavy to me. But that's also like, when do you bring it up? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just a whole other conversation. Whole other, for me, I bring it up on first dates now because yeah. it's my job. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, So I'm sort of like, well, I'm going to just put it all out there. Well, you know? know, I have to tell you, it's so far away from my experience right now. Mm. I don't even think about it. Yeah. Whereas for a long time, it was so much a part of my experience. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And now I don't, I literally do not think about it Well, there's a shadow of it. I guess that's part of your spiritual practice at this point. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like it's part of that, that gratitude that you practice every day. Absolutely. And, and I had to work on it a lot around getting sick. And, and this is, by the way, I continue to work on all the the layers that it has brought up in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I am very, you know, I, I, I still have to work on it. I still have to say like, you're well, you're a hundred percent well. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, you can eat that. Well, and I think also therapy is a really great way to work through Mm -hmm. that stuff. And like, you know, I'm a big believer in therapy whenever you need it. Absolutely. Whether that's for life or for this season. Absolutely. Therapy is, and, and also I'll say this, like, um, I was on an antidepressant for a while with this. I needed to be on an antidepressant. Yeah. So I think there's like really no shame and getting yourself to a place where you can mentally and emotionally deal with something in a, in a way that's, um, you know, I don't want to say stronger. That's not the right word, but just where you can, sometimes you, you, you just need a little something boost. to hold on to. Yeah. A boost. And something to like get you over the hump. Absolutely. I mean, it's very common. I know at least for cancer patients to be prescribed antidepressants. You know? I didn't know that. Um, certainly people I've known who've gone through it have been prescribed antidepressants at different points in their treatment because you spend so much time being sick, you know, and it's a sort of very common thing in that realm. But it's interesting that it's either it's something that's over prescribed in the invisible illness realm because people are like, Oh, you're just, yes, yes. There's also that. Yes. Which happened to me as well. Yes. And I didn't need it at that point. Yeah. Or it's that, um, you know, you're dealing with a lot of stuff. It's really heavy. And like, having that little extra boost to help you get past 
any irrational thinking because it's easy to go into those extremes and those negative spirals, mm-hmm. especially when you're tired as hell. Oh yeah. You know, it, oh, can, yeah. be, it can be so helpful. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm a strong believer in medication therapy, whatever you need. Me too. And acknowledging that. Me too. So now this is, this is a big question. How has our health system helped you <laughs> or hindered you through the experience of being well? Getting well and being well. Getting well and being well. Um, I, that is a big question. Yeah. It's like a whole nother episode. <laughs> what, a, what a shocker that you'd have such a big question on this podcast. Um, <laughs> Cal shock. Cal shock. Um, you know, it's hard to answer that question because I just think, I think that I think that these illnesses are so hard to diagnose that you got to just find the right people. Mm. And there's some wonderful people and some really crappy people. And I think it's really up to you to really just keep, keep reminding yourself that you're not crazy and you got to keep going. And if it's not that you'll know within the first experience with someone if they're right or wrong. And then if they're wrong, you just get the hell out of there and you find someone new. How do you find that intuition if you're not as plugged into it as you were? Um, well, the first thing is if they listen, Mm. you know, it's just having someone be like really understanding and listening to the symptoms. And I ask a lot of questions. Like when they say, you know, Oh, well you want to try this? I'll say, why? You know, and then I researched it on my own and I bought tons of books in terms of like, not tons, I don't want to overwhelm you, but like, I learned a lot about, you know, what vitamins worked for what. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember working with one woman, um, I, I started seeing an integrative health person in Seattle when I was going to grad school there. Um, and she wanted me to eat at, at night. She said, well, you know, if you're getting hungry at nighttime, make sure to have like crackers and you can have some cheese. What? And I said, you well, can't eat dairy. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what I said to her. I said, I said, I, I had Epstein Barr virus. I'm recovering from mono. Mm. You know, um, a lot of the stuff I had was like in my chest area. And mm. I said, why would you tell me to eat dairy? Mm. So it's, it's, it's like, it's, and so I was like, she's not the right person for me. She also told me to have like ashwagandha or something. Which that's an adaptogen. I mean, that, yeah, depending on what you've got going on can be very helpful. It can be very helpful, but it, I had read something again, this could be, don't take this, what I'm saying, right? Cause this was such a long time ago. I can't remember, but I, I, I read that it was not helpful with, um, Epstein Barr. Oh, and I also, she told me to have apple cider vinegar, which also feeds the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, all these things are really good things. Mm-hmm. So this person is like technically telling me really good things to good do, but not good for me and my body. And, and because I was so aware of that, I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing is a lot of people are going to say to you, well, you know, eat this or do this. And that particular food might not be right for you. Mm-hmm. So you want to be with the, the health practitioner that's going to say, we're going to try this. We're going to see what's going to work. And then we're going to closely monitor it and we're going to figure it out together. Yeah. Because your body is the boss. It's not any of these people. It's your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's... I, that's what I would say is like you really, and you'll start like intuiting 
who's right and who's wrong. And, and really the right person is you're going to start feeling better. And even if your body isn't feeling better, there's going to be a part of your brain and your heart that's going to feel better. And that's your intuition guiding you, you know? Um, so that's what I would say. I mean, like on the greater level of like healthcare, I mean, it's very difficult that insurance doesn't cover many of the things that we need, um, with these illnesses that aren't, you know, diagnosed. The number of GoFundMe, you know, campaigns you see all the time with people trying to pay their medical bills through crowdfunding is like, it's so upsetting It's it's that our system is letting us down. It's, it's very upsetting. Yeah. I mean, it's really, really upsetting. I, that I find constantly upsetting. Mm. Um, but I also think like I am willing to spend money on my health in ways that I don't think, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily done had I not experienced this. Like I am willing when I don't feel well to find the right person and to pay the extra money. Like I put that in my budget. Like that is something that it's about your health being the priority. Yeah. 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 So you mentioned a couple of tips in terms of being able to suss out medical practitioners. Yes. Um, but I like to wrap up these interviews with a top three, a couple of top three lists. The first being, can you give us your top three tips for people who might be entering this space of invisible illness, um, who might be patients like we have been, um, tips to help cope, to, um, go through diagnosis phases. What would you say to people who are in your shoes? Oh gosh. I have some top three, top three, top three, top three. Okay. Top three. So number one, I would say is you're going to be okay. It's not, this is not your life forever. Mm. And she doesn't mean that in a condescending way either. Cause I think sometimes you can say to someone, you're going to be okay. No. And like that can come across, but you're literally saying like, there is light at the end of this time. There Just is, keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. like you really not, not you're going to be okay. You are okay. Yeah. Like this, this is scary and you don't know yet, but you are okay. And your body's trying to tell you something. Yes. And your body is so smart. Mm. And, and even though it might feel like your body is betraying you, it's not betraying you. It's giving you information. Mm. Um, and you can listen and that the more you listen, you will find out what that information is, but you are okay. Mm. So that's the first thing I would say. Mm. The next thing I would say is, um, I mean, I guess it's kind of along the same line is, is just that, um, uh, give yourself a break, Mm. like a true break. So like I said to you, you know, a month is, is a lot shorter, um, time than you actually think it is. It's a shorter span of time. Sick for years. Yeah. A month is a A month is not, but it's not going to feel like a blip. Mm. It's going to feel like, you know, you're, it's going to, yeah, but it's also going to feel like you are checking out of life and mm. that's scary because when you are in these illnesses, everything you're doing is trying to stay in life. So what I'm saying is, um, I give you permission, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I give yourself permission, but you know, if you need someone to tell you, you know, someone who has gone through this, but I give you permission to take the time, mm-hmm. take, take the month, take the month. Like really honor that time and find ways to make that work if you can. Absolutely. And you can, Mm. there's no way you can't, you can, you can cut out a ton of stuff Mm. and, uh, give yourself that time. And when you, by the way, when you feel better at the end of that month, because you will, 
If you really do the diet and you really, you know, take the time, watch some good movies, don't do the social things. You take a time, time out. It's your time out. Yeah, because you might not be able to cut out everything. Like not all of us can just like quit work for a month. No, but But if you're at a place where you have accrued sick days or Mm -hmm. whatever, Use use them and, and take a week, you know, have the month be like have a week to begin with at the beginning mm-hmm. to prep your food, get everything ready. And then you have that full month where you can kind of um, the rest of the month where you, you can rest. Don't yeah. do the social activities. Um, and the third tip, oh boy. Um, okay. The third tip I would say is nutrition is everything. Mm. It is literally the key. Yeah. Um, I don't care what you have on the spectrum. Nutrition is the key. Fix it. Yeah. Fix it. Um, embrace it. Find what feels good for you. Find what feels good for you. Don't be hard on yourself when you eat something and it doesn't feel good. It's just more information. Yeah. You know, um, and yeah, allow yourself, allow yourself to nourish your body Mm because that's what the food is there for. And when you, when you do that, you know, I always picture my body as saying, thank you, thank you, thank Mm. you. Like your body is starved for the nutrition because it needs the nutrition to heal. Mm. So nutrition is everything. Mm. I love that. Yeah. So one other top three list. Oh boy. I know. But this is like the real final one. Okay. (laughs) So this one is, what are your, I mean, you've obviously made adjustments in your lifestyle and obviously nutrition is a huge one. Mm -hmm. Exercise, you know, rest time, things like Uh, that. What are your top three cheats? or guilty pleasures Ooh. or like secret indulgences uh-huh. that you allow yourself sometimes because you've fucking earned it. Ooh, I love that. Um, so cheats. <laughs> and that was real easy. <laughs> cheese. <laughs> oh no, I said cheats. Oh cheats. But oh, I, I do you said so cheese. <laughs> You know, it's funny, I don't cheat that much. No, you don't. I really don't. So I really feeling good is so feels so good to you. It does. It feels so good to me. Um, I mean, God, I don't know. Uh, lately I do chocolate occasionally. Ooh, there's this delicious, um, at, at press juicer, I think they have this thing called the freeze and it's all natural. Oh my God. They're amazing. They're amazing. It's like, it's like a, a smoothie had a baby with (laughs) like a, a, uh, what are those like ice cone things? It's it's like a frozen smoothie, yeah. Frozen juice. Oh my god, but it's, it's sort of so like soft good. serve, like a yes. sundae, and almost. it's all natural sugar. Yeah, and they do like you can do toppings. Yeah, um, those so are really. Good. I guess that's a cheat, kind of. Yeah. I mean, when well, I when I travel, I eat a lot of cheese. That's true because you're <laughs> in places where you can eat. Yeah. Cheese. <laughs> um, but you know what? Like, I don't know if I really can answer that because I don't really cheat. But I will say. Uh, top like three things that I really enjoy. Oh, yeah, things that make you feel. Yeah, good. Top three okay. That top three things great. that I do yeah. when I'm like, all right, I need a timeout. Mm. One would be um, uh, getting a treat like that, mm. you know, or like like taking yourself out on a date. Yeah, taking myself on a date, going to the beach, mm. watching a movie. Like when I'm really tired, I just shut down and watch a movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, all this stuff has a lot to do with with at the end of the day is self-care like the things that I do to kind of regroup yeah um turn off my phone mm. um that's a big one that it's I sort of really do that's hard for me like but, you know yeah. with all the the stuff um and our businesses depend so much on social media and 
being accessible all the time. Yeah. That entrepreneurial thing. But I love like watching like all, all, like a really funny, silly movie. Yeah. Like I love like French movies, Mm -hmm. um, that are, there's like a ton on Netflix right now. And absurd. Like span it that are absurd. And they, cause my family, as Laura mentioned, all live over there. So it just makes me feel like I'm back home with them. Um, so I do stuff like that. I'll go out with a friend, you know? Mm stuff like that. And then I enjoy it. Yeah. Like I'm, I, or a hike, you know? Um, but I, I like, I don't even consider it cheat anymore because Mm -hmm. I'm really trying to just enjoy it when I feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, Camille. Well, Lauren. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was my pleasure. It was such a, an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I feel like, you know, in all the years we've known each other and we've known each other only one year. No, we've known each other for quite a long time. Um, you know, oh I feel like this is the first time that we've also like properly addressed. Yeah. We've never really talked about it. Like yeah. So, um, it's really valuable to me to have heard all of this from you and I really appreciate it. And I know that everyone listening is going to get a lot out of this and tell us how everyone can find you on Tinternet. Oh, okay. Well, um, my business is ispeakla.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually called Speak LA, but the website is www.ispeakla.com. You can find us on Instagram at ispeakla. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on Twitter, the twit, <laughs> but we don't really use that much. Um, and then Facebook. So if anybody's out there and you're an actor in the creative field and uh, want to learn more about what we do because we help actors and we have podcasts and all these things, um, please join the Facebook group. It's mm-hmm. Speak LA Members Only Facebook group, and I'm on there all the time. Um, and if you are going through this and you're on the Facebook group, I would definitely be giving you extra support. I just want to say, um, yeah, my my, I really I really understand and I really get it, and I mm-hmm. really believe in in you and uh, your journey in this. And I wish you just you know, a lot of love and healing. Thank you, Camille. You're welcome. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.